Hawks for the lead. Ball put down. Right-footed kick is up. End over end. And now he hit the crossbar. After he hit the upright. He hit the upright again. He's done it all season long. And the Bears are going to lose. Five seconds to go. Parkey's ball hit the upright. Ricocheted off the crossbar and ricocheted out. Welcome to the Grenade Show. Ollie, calm down. Stop it. I'm not putting Ollie's mic on until he stops laughing at the bears. Uh, <laughs> I love the laughing policeman. It's put me in a right good mood, that, Ollie. Great work. Uh, this is the... <laughs> Warm Malcolm. What? Uh, you are listening to the Gridiron Show. Will Gavin, Ollie Hunter in studio. I'll look back at Wildcard Weekend and uh, some of the coaching hires going on around the NFL as well. Uh, Ollie Hunter, have you had a good weekend? I last saw you Saturday night. It feels like an eternity. It does because there's been a lot of football. My weekend was good and then it was made even better by the Bears losing. So I had a great weekend. It uh, it was a good weekend that became a great weekend. It was a great weekend, all in all, and a great weekend of football. It was an odd weekend of football. No team scored more than 24 points this weekend, and that was in our Cowboys-Seahawks game we had on Talk Sport, which you didn't think of as a high-flying offensive game in any way, shape, or form. So this idea that uh, offences now rule the roost, I'm not sure uh, really comes to fruition. I think there'll be more points scored this coming weekend, but we've got four games to talk about, four pretty close games when you look at the final scoreline. I think a weekend where coaching decisions and game plans dominated the headlines. We'll get into each Mm. one and why I think the coaching won and lost the game for them. Don't get me wrong, the players on the field had to do their jobs, but yeah, I, I, uh, I, I can't remember a weekend where... In, a, in every single game, you looked at it and went, a game plan has either won or lost that game hands down. So we'll get into that and uh, we'll get into Bruce Arians heading to the Tampa Bay Buccaneers by the looks of it and Matt LaFleur heading to the Green Bay Packers. I, you know, This is podcast land, so there is a risk that by the time you hear this, one of those decisions won't have actually happened, but they are all but confirmed. Ollie, how are you feeling about Matt LaFleur? I kind of just wish it was the other way around, that Bruce Arians was coming to Green Bay <laughs> and Matt LeFleur, Matt LeFleur was going to to Tampa Bay. Um, I'm not. I'm a bit nonplussed by it because I don't think the Titans were, were that great. They had a banger in Derrick Henry down the stretch. They couldn't get um, they couldn't get Marcus Mariota fit, and when Gabbert came in, he didn't look great. But they were depleted and their talent levels on offense are not what they are in Green Bay. So the jury's out, massively out, and it's not a very inspiring hiring, uh, if you get me. I think you're right. I I get that it's not a particularly inspiring hiring. I get you. But I do think that 
look, the, taking what happened at the Titans this year is difficult. It has been a meteoric rise. You know, he's gone from being the quarterback's coach under that brilliant Atlanta offense to going and taking over as offensive coordinator under McVeigh at the Rams. But let's be honest. Sean McVeigh is his own offensive coordinator. So whilst he was he was almost like more of an offensive assistant there than an offensive coordinator. He wasn't calling the plays. He was just implementing McVeigh's system and you know mm. you, McVeigh just has to have sneezed on a head coach on a head coaching candidate right now and suddenly they're the hot young thing because you know it everyone is looking for the new Sean McVeigh everyone's looking for the young offensive mind that's going to turn their franchise around overnight which is how it feels McVeigh has worked in Los Angeles is Matt LaFleur that he has potential to be that I think Tennessee if you really objectively stand back from it and you say okay first half of the season so many offensive line injury problems so rarely had those bookend excellent tackles there available and fit what did they do once they were healthy down the stretch they ran the ball brilliantly there are probably six or seven games from this season where you look at the way the titans played on offense and you think wow they put together a really good game plan there they really figured out the opposition they really Put the, the put everything together and went out there. And if they'd executed better, or they executed just about well enough, then we can say that's down to the offensive scheming. But then there are three or four games at least that you look at and go, oh, that wasn't particularly great, was it? So it really, I, I'm honestly, I'm like you. I am. Is it an inspiring one? Am I going, wow, mind-blowing? Am I as excited as I thought I was going to be when it looked like it was going to be uh, a, a number of... I mean, Josh McDaniels was the more obvious heir apparent because of what he's done at New England, but I'm still not a huge fan of the way he treated Indianapolis last year and we'll get on to that being a blessing in disguise for that organisation. Yeah, it's kind of the most middling one possible. The problem with making a middling coaching hire is if you're the Tampa Bay Buccaneers and you bring in someone like that and people are like, ah, that could be brilliant, but it could also fail miserably, then that's kind of fine. Tampa Bay are a real what-are-they team. (laughs) You've got the Green Bay Packers and Aaron Rodgers. You've got maybe three years left of Rodgers in his prime, four at a push. The, you need to have nailed this, and I don't yeah. know if you've nailed it. Maybe you have, but I'm as on the wire as possible with it. It's a, that's a fantastic point. It, it's the one you have to get. It's almost Rogers' last chance. I worry that it could be a Stephen Wilkes situation in disguise, and we're going to get an offense run by a guy who doesn't have that much experience in running offenses or working with the talent level and it just kind of falling away. I don't want that. Obviously, I don't want that to happen. But the jury's still out. I think it's all very damning on Josh McDaniel, McDaniels, who who Green Bay was the only team that interviewed him. Out of all of those eight coaching head coaching jobs available, Green Bay was the only one. I think he has massively burnt his bridges and perhaps is only ever destined to head coach one other team, which is, or especially in the near future, and that's the the New England Patriots, if Bill Belichick decides to call it a day in the next two or three seasons. So I'm not too bothered. Actually, I'm not too bothered that it's not McDaniels. Having, having seen that Green Bay was the only one that interviewed him, it shows that other teams aren't fancying that kind of 
that kind of way that he treated uh, the Indianapolis Colts. But when it comes to Bruce Arians in Tampa Bay, I can only think of good things. All right, he's going to have to work with Jameis Winston, however you feel about Jameis Winston um, as a human being. But Arians has this relationship with Winston already. So I think that can only help the two parties and, and the organisation in itself. Um, just the, Did you realise that the Titans were seventh in total offence this season? No. Seventh in total offence this season with a quarterback who threw for barely 2,500 yards, 11 touchdowns and eight interceptions as their... Yes, he was dealing with injuries through the season, but as their main starting quarterback. You know my feelings on Marcus Mariota. I'm not very high on him anyway as a passer. And you look at what he did with... um, uh, Washington in the early part of the uh, early part of the the tens. What we call the teens? What do we call this decade? How am I only thinking about that in 2019? Ridiculous. Um, you look at what he did with Atlanta with Matt Ryan. You look at how he worked in Los Angeles with Jared Goff. Because as much as you give Sean McVay love, he came in and he was working with Goff, and that was his main yeah. kind of. That, that, that's what. McVeigh brought him in to do, having seen what he'd done with Shanahan and Matt Ryan. There's a lot to be positive about there. It's really all about, as it would be with literally anyone that the Titans appointed, what the relationship is going to be like with Aaron Rodgers. Yeah, the Packers appointed, but yeah, you're absolutely right. What did I just it's say? The Titans. <laughs> <laughs> Sleepy. But... But you're absolutely right. It's it is about that dynamic with Rogers. You have to think Rogers has been consulted on this. They they cannot have not run this past him. He would have obviously would have gone. Yeah, okay. We can. We'll we'll see how it goes. We'll work together. But will Rogers have the respect for a man that's only three or four years older than him? A man that hasn't done it as a head coach anywhere else. A man that his offensive. CV isn't that long. That's the dynamic. That's the thing that you, they've got to sort out. And no doubt that it will happen, you know, touch wood from a, a Green Bay Packers point of view, but you never know. And it got kind of toxic between Rodgers and McCarthy come the end. And I think we know the reasons why. I hope it doesn't become toxic between Lafleur and Rodgers quickly. I've got a lot of time for... Um... For Dan Olofsky, uh, former Lions quarterback, you know, perennial backup for a majority of his career, but a good, a, he's a good mind, he's a good talker, I like him a lot. And he tweeted this overnight, congratulations to Lafleur. I've known the dude for 10 plus years, played for him twice, I love the hiring. Dude's very bright, very creative, knows how to attack defences, has had great teaching, and the biggest thing, he's going to coach the heck out of 12 and challenge him daily and that for me is the key how Rogers reacts to that because for years and years and years we've heard how Tom Brady is a coachable quarterback and maybe that relationship with Belichick has soured in the last couple of years but for the majority of his career he has been the, uh, willing to be coached despite being up there as the best in the NFL Rogers yeah. has to approach this season in the right way has to be willing to be coached and together with a uh, good draft and a good free agency from Gutekunst, then I I believe that in the Packers. I really do. 
Yeah, uh, do you know what? I'm backing it. I'm backing Lafleur. I'm. I am getting behind it. It's happening. That means so much to me, Willie. <laughs> oh, buddy. <laughs> <laughs> no, no. If I was there, I'd you, hurt you. you. You have to back. You have to back him. Back the Packers. But you've got to pack the backers. Take it all. Yeah, you've got to take it all with a pinch of salt because it's uh, it's unknown territory for Green Bay. We haven't had a head coach, a new head coach for geez, how twelve years? I don't know how long uh, Mike McCarthy was there for. So it's uh, unknown territory if you're a recent Green Bay fan. But embrace it, enjoy it, love it, nurture it, treasure it, love it, love it. Right, should we talk about... Uh, well, we should mention, I mean, Bruce Arians to Tampa Bay also looks like a lock, and I don't think this needs as much discussion. Uh, Tampa Bay have a, a maybe a top-heavy roster in terms of talent, and needs the, the roster needs quite a bit of work. But the key thing is, if you're going to bring in a head coach, if you're backing Winston in the way that Jay, in Jason Light was and the organisation appeared to be, you need a coach that can come in and work with him. Bruce Arians is the best down-the-field quarterback coach anywhere. You look at what he did with the likes of Carson Palmer in his career. He is the man for quarterbacks who can take a deep shot. Jameis Winston can take a deep shot. Arians loves him. He had uh, Jameis Winston in his quarterback camp before he went into college, worked with him again between college and the NFL. They have a great relationship from everything we hear already. He might be the exact... The concern with Winston isn't his talent, although he, you know, tendency to throw interceptions. But he, that isn't the big question mark over him. It's the off the field stuff. Who do you believe in more to reform a young man than Bruce Arians? I, I can't. I don't think there is anyone. <laughs> it, it just it, we, you and I have met Coach Arians and BA. just just blown away. By the man himself, that and having known that he would afterwards that he was um, going through some cancer issues, and then come through the other side, still as a head coach, coached the other side of it, incredible. Uh, it makes you love the guy even more. And if he's instilling, if he's garnered that kind of reaction from two thirty mid thirties English guys early 30s English guys at the time um, that he met for 20 minutes at a Super Bowl party imagine how the team anyone that he works under that works that works under him feels about him and I think everyone will fully buy in to the man the legend he's not even a myth he's a legend and I think it's a superb hire for for the Buccaneers who've lacked leadership off the field and, and allowed Winston to almost one run wild um so i think it's a superb appointment i wonder if he can coax larry fitzgerald to the to the club but it's just that's exactly what that offense with all of their high-powered weapons in mike evans and the two tight ends and cameron bray and oj howard and peyton barber looked okay they need to upgrade in that department but I, I really like the hire. I really like it. Just sort out those uniforms and then they're a proper football team. <laughs> Huge Mike Evans year coming. I see it already in my mind's yeah. eye. Mike Evans to go for like 1,300 yards and 10 touchdowns in 2019. I right. think he'll get more than that. Wow. 
I mean, th- yeah. those would have led the... Well, those would have been top five in both categories in the NFL this season. So, brilliant. I, I'm loving your confidence, bud. Uh, yeah, I don't think there's a huge amount more to say about that. Should we move on to the games? Oh, what a... The fact that there wasn't that much offense, every game had drama. It was just a great slate of divisional games, of wildcard games, sorry. And so much so that Tom Hughes, a guy who works at TalkSport, doesn't really follow NFL that much. He went to AT&T for the Thanksgiving game. Oh, wow. So he's kind of got into it slightly. That's pretty cool. He... Yeah, that is pretty cool. It's a great place to go and watch football on Thanksgiving. But he loved the wild card weekend of football because of all the drama. And he's not necessarily a football fan. So it is something that has pulled non-football fans in. And it's just been a... It was just great. It was laden with drama. Loved it. And look, here's the thing. We had three underdogs go on the road and win. We are now set up for a divisional round weekend, my favourite weekend of football of the entire season, even including Super Bowl weekend, with four fantastic games of football. Four fantastic games of football where, again, you've got four road underdogs who could go on the road and do it. Seattle very much. You could have come out of this weekend with all four road teams winning and it wouldn't have been a shock based on the way that the games went. I loved wildcard weekend and I'm desperate to talk about these games. Let's start off with let's reverse order, reverse order. Uh, we could do reverse order, but other people have done reverse order. All right. Well, let's do uh, chronological, let's do chronological order, order and start off with the Indian, the Indians, the Indianapolis Colts, 21, the Houston Texans, seven. They went in at the half, uh, 21, Zip up. This is a team who have gone from one and five, closing out the season nine and one. They've gone ten and one down the stretch now. And the the when I talked about earlier in the show about uh, wanting to talk about the coaching with every game, this is probably the one game where it wasn't down to the specific scheme of this game that I really wanted to highlight. In every other game, there's a, a coach who did something new or different. But what I want to highlight from this game is we all know what an amazing and wonderful job Frank Reich and that snowy white beard have done. The guy who I think needs to get some more love is is Matt Eberflus, the defensive coordinator, who the more I think about it, the more I love the idea of him going to the Browns and working with Freddie Kitchens and, and running that team. Him as a defensive head coach, Kitchens as the offensive coordinator, continuing that relationship with Mayfield. I think that would be a really exciting young partnership because Eberflus has come into that team this season and Andy Benoit's written a fantastic article about this, breaking this down on the MMQB website. He's gone into that team this season. They started one and five, and in the five losses there, they conceded 32 points per game. Down the next 10 games, including their loss, they conceded 16.4 points per game. That is, if you stretch that over the whole season, it would be the best in the NFL by a full point. In a year where we've got teams like the Bears and the Ravens in the NFL. It is so underrated what a job that defense has done. And they shut down the Texans for such a huge majority of this game this weekend. And they've done it with mostly a bunch of no-namers. He came into a Frank Reich system. A Frank Reich system, sorry. That's who their new head coach is. He came into a Chuck Pagano system 
which is essentially the antithesis of what Eberflus does. It's a 4-3 front versus a 3-4 front. It's a zone blitzing scheme. It's a man-match scheme under Pagano versus a zone blitzing scheme under uh, Eberflus. It's literally the opposite. He had to come in. He Apparently, and this is according to the Benoit article who's spoken to him, the first thing he did when he came in, and at that point didn't even know who his head coach was going to be, was he watched every single defensive snap from every single player for the season. As he did it and worked through it, well, all the ones they were going to be keeping, for the last, and it was going back the last three seasons or something like that. As he did it, for the first something like seven games, he just watched them. Then he started taking notes from that point onwards. Apparently he came out the other end knowing one simple thing, the defence needed a lot of work. They drafted brilliantly. They brought in two or three impact-free agents, and he has turned that defence into one of the top two or three in the NFL through coaching, through scheming, through bringing those players through like Darius Leonard, but you've also got to give love to someone like Anthony Walker, fifth-round pick last season, who's had a really good year alongside Leonard in that linebacking core. Pierre Desir, who thought Pierre Desir would be up there in the top two or three corners in the NFL this season? Honestly, he has done a stunning, stunning job. And as much as we want to talk about Andrew Luck being back and Frank Reich being brilliant... I just want to say, Matt Eberflus, if he gets a head coaching job this year, I won't mind that at all. It's a great point. And he's getting... It's a great and very lengthy point. But he, what he... I have... the, the first 20 minutes of this podcast has mostly been me talking. I apologise. No, fine. It, it's, it, it, what Eberflus has done is he, he's getting players that were pretty much on the scrap heap, either with other teams or with the Colts themselves, and he's turned them into bona fide stars. Malik Hooker didn't have a great year last year. He's had a very good year this year. Kenny Moore at cornerback has been really good this year. But the one I really want to highlight is Margus Hunt, where he came in with, with all of this this size, the the the, the, um, the beast from the East or Estonia. Um and he's been he's he's been a bit of a wrecking ball up front. Jabal Sheard as well. All of that has 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 just helped the rest of the defense to to work superbly, and then you can wax lyrical about about Darius Leonard, but he was literally everywhere against the Texans. He had five tackles, another eight assisted tackles as well. That means that he is <laughs> flying all over the shop, trying to make plays and helping his teammate. It is incredible what he did uh, against the Texans, and it's been incredible what he's been doing the entire season. Bill O'Brien, who is um, a coach I like very, very much, and I think has done a fantastic job at the Texans over the past five years and has occasionally been a little bit too maligned um, in weird situations as well. But he tried some stuff on offense and he tried to build in some of the, when it wasn't working, just doing what they'd been doing previously, which was keeping Watson upright, allowing Nuke Thompson, Nuke Thompson, Nuke Hopkins to um, develop those routes and... Uh, you know, just having a decent passing game, a decent running game and just churning through games. He saw that he needed to do something different against this Colts defense and he tried to. And there was one point, and I think I tweeted it, where they tried a jet sweep in after a bit of misdirection. It was all bells and whistles. It looked like that Chicago offense trying to make Mitch Trubisky a good quarterback. And Darius Leonard 
completely spotted what they were going to do. He was in the middle of the field. He sat in his zone. He waited. And then he just chased the guy to the sideline. And his close-down speed is insane. His reading of the game, oh, it was glorious to watch. Just... I also, you know, the Indianapolis Colts appear to have become my new favourite team in the NFL. A bit of love for Chris Ballard as well, the, the GM spot, because Quentin Nelson at six looked like a, the most boring possible pick in the history oh of time. Oh, my God. He was phenomenal on there's, Saturday night against the Texans. There's, um, there's one particular play where he drills Jadavian Clowney back past the line of scrimmage and to the floor it would it would have been a red card in rugby for like a spear <laughs> tackle but it was pure aggression and strength and he played like that all game insane and when you've got him Brandon uh, Braden Smith as well had, had a really good game too when you've got those two rookies up front making plays for you protecting Andrew Luck stunning stunning work yeah I, I just uh, and with all of that and with how great Andrew Luck's looking as well. You know, we will get into it. I promise you we'll get into it. But I think they can go and win in Kansas City. I think they have the defense and they have the offensive line and they have Andrew Luck and they have T.Y. Hilton who can take those deep shots. I think they can and I might even say will go into Kansas City and win. Wow, wow, wow. Well, well, well. How, how great is it that Josh McDaniels didn't turn up and take that job? Well done, guys. <laughs> well done. Everyone there, you've done a fantastic job. Um, oh, do you know what? I just, final thing. I promise this is the final bit of waxing lyrical about the Colts. Frank Reich is the best third down play caller in the NFL. He showed it in the Super Bowl last year. He showed it with the Eagles run, and he's doing it again here. Their conversion rate on third and long is ludicrous. Right, anyway. Just just very quickly, on on the Texans, has Bill O'Brien taken them as far as he can? No. I still think that this is a team who, in the next couple of years, with staying healthy, a bit more offensive line help, um, maybe another well I mean Demarius Thomas has been a decent complimentary weapon but they are still you know they still haven't had a really good running back still haven't had a really good tight end there uh, they are one or two pieces away from being a legitimate AFC championship Super Bowl representative I think that their their run coming from 0-3 and, and, and getting to where they did it wasn't like with the Colts where I'm turning around and waxing lyrical about their performances bar that one absolute bollock that they dropped where they didn't score any points against the Jags. Uh, the Texans have been steady all year. I still think Bill O'Brien can uh, can take that team further. I think he can win a Super Bowl there. Wow. Uh, I think he's a long way off, but it's games like the Colts game where he came out afterwards and said, it's on me. I made some critical errors. I, I, I didn't coach well enough. He'll learn from that. But you'd think four years in the job, however many it's been, I think four years, you'd think you'd have learned from that already by now. So, oh well. Ho-hum. Hey, Ollie. Yes. Do you want to know the most ridiculous thing about all of this? Go on. I'm going to read to you the top five teams in terms of cap space going into the 2019 season in the NFL. Yeah. Based on their current roster. 
at five. The Oakland Raiders with $71 million in available cap space. At four, the Cleveland Browns with $75 million in available cap space. Sure, At sure. three, the Buffalo Bills at $87 million of available cap space. At two, it's the New York Jets with $103 million <laughs> of available cap space. And in at one... The team with the most available cap space in 2019 is the Indianapolis Colts with $122 million of cap space. Wow. Despite despite having a franchise quarterback signed to a contract which guarantees him, you know, in that mid to high 20s range that a top quarterback gets now, they have that much cap space to spend. This is a Super Bowl window, make no mistake. 100%. Um, it's a couple of Pittsburgh Steelers that could uh, do very well in Indianapolis. <laughs> oh. Don't. If you, oh, can you bring both of them in? Do this it. is the Colts Loving Podcast. We have spent way too long talking about a team that we're going to have to talk about again. I tell you what we're going to do later this week. We're going to preview the Chiefs game, but we're only going to talk about the Chiefs. That's, <laughs> yeah, that's, that's not, the rule. That's not going to happen. You know what you're like. <laughs> Let's take a quick break, and then we'll talk about the other three games this weekend. We'll maybe send three minutes each on them. You know, whatever's necessary. The situation in the Pacific is worse than reported. The Japanese are planning something big. What's the target? Midway. From the director of Independence Day. A couple dozen planes. It's all Japanese fleet. We got the order to launch. Discover the incredible true story. Today we're going to be underdogs. Of the World War II battle. Good luck, boys. Fire! Midway. Download and keep now. You're listening to uh, The Gridiron Show, Will Gavin, Ollie Hunter. Sorry, did I call it the wrong name? What I meant was the Indianapolis Colts Loving Podcast. Uh, <laughs> Ollie, um, I, I actually, I, I lost control a little bit there, and I can only apologise. Classic. Classic Willie Gavin losing control, waxing lyrical, or going off on a rant. Either way, it happens frequently, maybe too frequently. But I love it. I am. Um, I. I, <laughs> I do spend a lot of time saying to you and to Sherry, and whenever we like, we need to make the podcast tighter. People will like it more if they're like forty-five, fifty minutes. We don't want these hour, hour twenty-minute rambly ones. This has become a bit of a rambly one. Colts Thanks. fans will have loved this. Jags, Texans, and Titans fans are going to be having a horrible time. Yeah, they really will. Bad luck, guys. Right, let's move on to the Seattle Seahawks who went into AT&T Stadium and, well, they didn't get it done. They lost 22-24. to Well, you and I had this game on TalkSport and both of us, especially me, were getting more and more frustrated with Brian Schottenheimer and with Pete Carroll and their game plan. Ridiculous. Let's start off by saying one thing. All right, the go game, on then. Pl- the game plan wasn't a bad game plan going into the game. No. You are a team who run the ball effectively. 
You are a team whose offensive line has improved hugely this year. You are a team whose defense is playing above the level that we've seen, that we expected from the talent you have. And you're essentially doing what you've done all year, and what you've done all year has got you to 10 wins, right? Nothing wrong with coming in and planning to do the same with some wrinkles designed to, to try and beat the Cowboys in that brilliant linebacking core and everything. To give the love to the Cowboys that they deserve, the front seven was excellent, did a really good job, hassled Russell Wilson, shut down the run effectively. The frustration is that this idea of running the ball on first and second down to try and establish a third and short for yourself and to have a chain-moving offence. In theory, I love it. In theory, it's my style of old-school football, and that's fine. It wasn't working. Why did they never change it? I I couldn't fathom why they didn't change it. The Dallas Cowboys defence worked it out very quickly because it was so very, very obvious. Running on first and second downs pretty much exclusively apart from a couple of plays when they didn't and they had big gains went down the field scored points but the 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 fact that they then went back to the thing that didn't work in the first place just baffling there were some coaching calls which were ridiculous there was a, a third and seven or a third and eight where it was a little dump off which had no chance of getting to the fourth down marker or getting past the first down marker sorry it, there, it was. If I was a Seahawks fan, I would have been livid. I wasn't a Seahawks fan. I'm not a Seahawks fan, and I was livid. It was. It was just. Everyone could see it. It's like when you're watching your team play football, soccer, and you can see that a player's not working or a tactic's not working, and everyone in the ground can see it. Everyone's going nuts about it. Yet the manager still does nothing about it. It was like that. It. It, it it's it's winding me up now. So annoying. The t- the one touchdown drive that the uh, that the Seahawks had was a, a short field touchdown drive where they got the ball on forty four yards from. I think it was actually a punt return. It wasn't a turnover. I'm trying to remember it off the top of my head without looking it up. But um, forty four yard touchdown drive. That forty four yard touchdown drive involved eight runs for twenty two yards and one pass. For 22 yards. It's maths. Figure it out. What are you doing? Clowns. Clowns. It was so annoying. It was so, so frustrating. I, You know, there's part of me that, much in the way that I'm sure we're going to talk about with the Bears, that that the rivalry means that I'm, (laughs) that I am not devastated to see the Seahawks out of the playoffs. But, oh, I just can't stand to watch bad football. And that turned into bad football. On Saturday night. And the Cowboys prevailed and actually deservedly. I know two points um, isn't that much, but the great grand scheme of the things and the way that uh, the the Seahawks played, it was dreadful. And they had to overcome losing Seabass and the whole circus around Michael Dixon and and drop goaling field goals or extra points. And then the, the final... Um, onside kick try, which everyone is likening to hitting a club or three over what he should have done. Either way, the Seahawks did deserve to win that game in any way for me. Yeah, I, I, the fact is is that they came into the game with uh, 160 yards per game on the ground. That's the best in the NFL. The Cowboys, 
fifth-ranked run defence, anchored by the brilliant Jalen Smith and Leighton van der Esch. They held them to 73 yards. A team who had rushed... Chris Carson, on his own, rushed for 102 yards against the Cowboys back in week three. He had 20 yards on 13 carries. Van der Esch, 10 tackles on the day. Smith with another seven. Don't get me wrong, for as much as we were slagging off the, the game plan, I told you that's what we were going to be talking about with these guys. From a coaching perspective, bad job, Seattle. From a uh, Cowboys perspective, I'll get it off my chest now. Dak Prescott, a man who I've doubted often in the past, really good performance from him. Really gutsy down the stretch. Uh, you know, do you know what? I'm not even going to caveat it. I'm just going to say, well done. Yeah, he put 22 the, of 33, 226 yards, a touchdown. The interception wasn't good, but fine. There you go, I had to caveat it. I couldn't help myself. <laughs> no, it's fine. And it, he um he he put the team on his shoulders. There was the the run up the middle it was destined designed for only about four or five yards. He saw an opportunity, almost scored a, a touchdown. It set up the the um not the winning touchdown, but the Effectively, it was okay. The winning touchdown. Zeke Elliott had a really good game, and Amari Cooper, after a quiet first half, showed up in the second. So they they had their guys do what they needed to do. I think, and I'm really looking forward to this Sunday. But I think the the Rams will be a, a whole kettle of fish than the Seahawks. Far better coached, far more far far more talent on the on the field on both sides of the ball. And I, I don't think they'll be able to live with the uh, with with the Rams. The, the my my um, mine and our close friend, who is a Rams supporter, Adam Farkson, uh asked me about my feeling about the Cowboys matchup once it was confirmed post Bears Eagles on Sunday night. And I said to him, "I think you should be ten point favorites. Six and a half point favorites isn't enough because as much as." And we gave, let's, uh, to hold my hands up a second time in two minutes, a rarity for me, I know. I don't know what's come over me. Um, the, uh, I'd said Amari Cooper had been disappointing the last three weeks, the moment he'd come up against a decent defence. Shaq Griffin had a dreadful game, and he went for 15.1 yards per catch on his way to quite the day, 106 yards receiving on seven catches total. Add to that Zeke Elliott, 137 yards and a touchdown, 5.2 yards per carry. Their offense was efficient. It did what it needed to do. I still think there is a coaching issue with Jason Garrett in the playoffs. I don't think he outcoached the Seahawks. I think the Seahawks outcoached themselves. I think more love needs to go to Marinelli and the defense than it does to Garrett. And there were a number of occasions in the second half where the Cowboys could have closed this game out and they did things like third and one and went for a really predictable stretch run play to the outside and got shut down. And it just happened. There were several drives that were killed by bad play calling. Combine it with the awful decision to try for that long field goal instead of looking at how your defense had performed against Seattle in the first half, knowing they're getting the ball back to start the second half knowing you've got a good punter, pinning them back within the five and stopping them and getting the ball back in good field position with like one thirty-two minutes left on the clock. It was, amazingly, it was exactly what the Seahawks ended up doing in the second half to them and nearly kind of pulling off a comeback because of it. So I still think Jason Garrett gets too conservative in big games, doesn't back himself, and I, I still think there's a coaching problem there. We'll talk about the Rams game coming up, but 
for as brilliant as the Cowboys were this past weekend, I think it's a horrible matchup for them. I, I see how they can win in the game, but I think it's a difficult matchup. Yeah, I agree. Chargers, Ravens. Los Angeles running out 23-17 winners in the end, but boy, was that a flattering result based on what we saw from the Ravens' offense for the majority of the game. Two fourth-quarter touchdowns and a big old uh, a big old load of yards through the air for a previously much maligned Lamar Jackson um, in that game. He'd been much vaunted prior to that. The coach I want to talk about their game plan is Gustav Bradley. Lovely man, full of enthusiasm, brilliant whenever he was here in the UK. What he did on Saturday night. Do you, did you watch um, the two Bills when the 30 for 30 was on? I've recorded it, need to still watch it. So there is, because they look over the history of Bill Belichick and Bill Parcells. Me and, uh, we've talked about it on the podcast back last year, because me and Sherry went to watch it being debuted at the Super Bowl, uh, and then came through and watched it when he was um and then then I rewatched it on TV the other night the run where they went to win the super bowl in 1990 which was um the the year that he won it as defensive coordinator with the giants um the 20 to 19 upset of the buffalo bills that season for the giants in the postseason they go through each of his game plans for them to get there. And they go through exactly how he put together uh, unbelievable defences to shut down the Chicago Bears, to shut down the San Francisco 49ers. The Bears put three points up on them. The 49ers just 13 points up on them, who had had the best regular season in the NFL. And he completely changed the game plan for both games to suit the team opposite them to things that the Giants hadn't done all season. And that's what Gus Bradley... Gus Bradley's performance on Sunday reminded me of Bill Belichick in his brilliant final season as defensive coordinator of the Giants because we saw a little bit of him road testing the defensive system in the last week of the of the regular season when they were going against a run-heavy team in the, uh, in the uh, Broncos. In the Raiders, sorry, they had the Raiders last weekend, did they? Yeah. The Chiefs Chiefs had the Raiders, they have the Broncos? Yeah. Literally don't remember. <laughs> it was so far ago, Whichever. but... It, yeah, <laughs> it the, was um, the Broncos. Uh, yeah, it, a run-heavy team in the Broncos, and we saw them do a little bit of it. And everyone's talked about this stat, so it's probably uninteresting that I'm still talking about it. But the Los Angeles Chargers played seven defensive backs on 58 out of 59 snaps on, on Sunday. And what that did was playing all of those guys in at linebacker, those smaller safeties, quicker guys, just completely shut down what Lamar Jackson had spent the last two months doing, completely managed to fool them on a number of really good zone blitzes, corner blitzes, safety blitzes. It was masterful from the Chargers' defense. And in a game where Rivers and the offense were fine, Kind of, he said himself, fell off a little bit in the second half. The best unit and the best coaching job of the entire weekend was Gus Bradley and the Chargers defence. They ripped apart the Baltimore Ravens offensive line. They It was seven sacks, six different players with sacks. 
two for for Melvin Ingram, who was an absolute wrecking ball. He also had a forced fumble. Jackson fumbled the ball a couple of times. But the pressure, the constant pressure that a variety of different formations and blitzes and um, and such like gave the Ravens and the different looks as well. What they did is they gave a college quarterback so many different looks that mm-hmm. it completely overwhelmed Jackson, overwhelmed him in that first half. He kind of gathered himself when... And I think if you're a Ravens fan and not one of those that booed Jackson most of the way through this game, but you can look at the way that he rallied himself and picked himself up and tried to get the team back into the game in that fourth quarter. You can look at that as the positive from this game. But the previous three quarters, he was a, he was a, like a, a deer in headlights. He was harangued, harassed and hassled constantly. And a lot of what happened, I'm not sure that you can entirely blame Lamar Jackson. It was just a masterclass from that Chargers defense. And I said about the Chargers in last week's show, that if they go there and they really put a whooping on the Ravens, which in my mind was having an amazing offensive performance against that brilliant Ravens defense and just doing enough on defense against uh, Lamar Jackson. It wasn't a low scoring 40 point game where most of the Ravens points were garbage timey. I'll even call it gunk time for you, Ollie today. And uh, that was a little bit sultry. Um, Like I will pour the love on what they managed to do, but I said, if they go there and they win handily, they become my favourites in the AFC. I can't say that because of how I now feel in my loins about the Indianapolis Colts. <laughs> Don't talk about your loins. <laughs> but I really like them to go to New England and cause the Patriots problems in a game which is oh, the the romance of the NFL, the storylines of the NFL. Philip Rivers at his age with what is probably one last shot to make it to the big dance and he ends up heading to New England facing the team that knocked him out in that AFC Championship game where he played through a partially torn ACL uh, getting to uh, you know potentially exact revenge against them oh I love it oh I love it so much it's got an NFL Um, film football life written all over it hasn't it it really does it really really does it's 11 years on almost it'll be 11 years on almost to the day that the two faced off in the AFC championship game uh, and the patriots came out with a 21 to 12 win where rivers knew he didn't do enough and couldn't do enough because of that torn acl oh i love it oh i love the nfl it's so great <laughs> well done <laughs> uh, <laughs> just on the ravens before we move on from them for the season how did you feel about them not bringing Joe Flacco in when a lot of people were calling for it, when Lamar Jackson was clearly struggling? And how did you feel about the way that John Harbour coached this team on on Sunday? Look, um, I don't think... I think Harbour was taking charge of a 10-6 and 6 team against a 12-4 and 4 team, and the difference there was stark. Um, I don't think he quite realised what the Chargers would bring. I think he underestimated the Chargers and thought that the way that Lamar Jackson played those first six games, he would be able to translate into a playoff game. And Jackson was obviously overawed. Now, as I said earlier, he collected himself. 
I don't think there was any case for bringing in Joe Flacco. And the reasons being, Flacco has been touted around by the Ravens to going elsewhere. He could have brought him back potentially before all of this two or three weeks ago and said, Flacco's my man, he's my playoff man, he's my Super Bowl winning man. He didn't do that. And once you don't do that, you've put your eggs in the Lamar Jackson basket. And I think it would have been damaging long-term for Jackson if he had been benched. Yeah, totally agree. We are in simpatico. Before we move on to Sunday night football, and I know Ollie is itching to talk about the Eagles dumping the Bears out of the (laughs) NFL playoffs. Called it. Uh, You did. Well done, buddy. I'm proud of you. Um, Go and read Jenny Varentes's. I know I'm giving MMQB a lot of love today. Jenny Varentes is one of the best football writers around. She's brilliant. I love her to pieces. Uh, Go and read Jenny Varentes's piece on the Chargers' defensive performance because for as much as we can sit here and talk about... um, you know, uh, the brilliance of Adrian Phillips and Jalila Dye playing in the box as linebackers, uh, Melvin uh, Ingram being the best player on the field on Sunday, and he's going to cause Tom Brady all sorts of problems this coming weekend, I think. As much as we want to talk and can talk about all of that, Jenny Verentes' piece not only fleshes out the history of them playing that quarters, seven defensive back system, but also brings you some quotes. Apparently, Derwin James, when he was when Gus Bradley laid out the um, the game plan to them on the on the Monday or the Tuesday at the beginning of the week, was absolutely delighted. He was apparently bouncing off the walls with excitement about what they were going to be able to do, having every defensive back on the field. Mm. So it's a lovely piece. It's really well written, as you'd expect. Uh, So go and give that a little check out. It's a big recommendation from my Ollie. Do you know what we didn't talk about with everything else this weekend? I promise you I'm not just delaying talking about the Bears game. Go on. Sebastian Janikowski, drop goal field goals. Bad job, Seattle, for not giving us a drop goal field goal attempt. I did talk about that. Oh, did you? Yeah. What? Did I nod off? You either nodded off or were classic Willie Gavin not listening to what I was saying. I am making a concerted effort to listen to everything you say. Thank you very much. Despite the fact that I am incredibly tired. In fact, I'm trying harder to listen to you than I normally do. Well, there you go. You You may have nodded off. That might have been it. No, I banged on about Seabass coming out of the game and Dixon, um, do you know what I remember? We denied now. all of that. Well, just, it, do you know what it just was? Something that I do throughout the um, something that I do throughout the games at the weekend. Uh, a little cheat for you uh, of mine that I do is whilst I've got Twitter open on a second screen, I like tweets that make good points or make or, or point out particular plays or give a little video of something I want to remember, a play I want to talk about because I wanted to specifically talk about that play or whatever it was. And then I, I go through my likes before we do the show and I pick out those ones. And it's purely just because I was scrolling back through to find this game and I saw your <laughs> your tweet where you just went, we want a field goal attempt. We want a field goal yeah, attempt. Yeah, we want yeah. a field goal yeah. attempt. We want a field. It's just because I saw that and I thought, oh, I don't remember talking about that. But now you've said it, I completely remember it. And I'm really sorry, buddy. It's okay, pal. But you're right. The fact that we were denied that was an absolute disgrace and abomination and another thing that Brian Schottenheimer should be sacked for. I know it's not his fault, but um, he should just get <laughs> He should get it. Get it. Get it. Uh, Right, let's talk about 
on paper, the biggest upset of the weekend. Olivia Coleman winning the Golden Globe over Lady Gaga for... Well, that's again, I just, I just scrolled past a like, which is Olivia Coleman calling... By the way... Rachel Weisz, his bitches, her bitches, so I just... By the way, I've just yes. restarted Peep Show, and um, the fact that, that she's in Peep Show and now has won a Golden Globe in front of all those people, it's just mind-blowing. I mean, she's great in Peep Show, and I love Peep Show, but... The, 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 the rise from her has been incredible. Mm-hmm. Anyway, moving mm-hmm. on. Moving on. I apologise. But I just wanted to say, Olivia Coleman, from everyone at the Gridiron Show, we salute you. Absolutely. Absolutely. Should we talk about Bears Eagles? <laughs> yeah, let's do it. Oh, my God, you little giggler. You wee little giggler. Um, firstly... It was tipped, Bears fans. Get over yourselves. I know that Cody Parkey missed 10 field goals this season. I know he hit the uprights on, what, like six separate occasions? Yeah. And there are reasons to be annoyed about that. And I know at the moment you didn't see that it was tipped. But maybe go back and delete your tweets. Because you're clowns. It's a game where if Mitchell Trubitsky and your offence had put together a better game, had made more third down plays, had... There's an argument for Trubisky uh, looking like he'd hurt his knee or, or, or his leg in the, in the lower leg in the first half and, and therefore he struggled on runs. But there were two occasions that I noted down in the second half where he ran for first downs. The first down was there and available to him if he was willing to, to initiate contact and he slid short of the first down on a third down scramble. That's meant to be the best part of his game. That's meant to be what makes him a good quarterback. I'm sorry, it's a playoff game. I don't want players to get injured, but you've got to take a risk in that situation. I thought it was so frustrating from the Bears on an offensive perspective. 0-3 in the red zone. Yes, the, the Eagles team deserves some love for that and their defensive performance. He could, Mitchell Trubisky could have thrown three interceptions in this game, all of them bad passes. All of them, you know, your boy Avante Maddox missed two of them. There was the other yeah. one in the back of the end zone, which should have been caught from the linebacker. The Eagles probably should have been absolutely streaking clear in this game and and weren't. And so just, I started this on a completely different point, but I ended up just slating the Bears offense. You like Avante Maddox a lot, don't you? Look, he, I really liked him in down the stretch. I thought he played really well in the game um, in London, but he was playing at safety rather than at cornerback. Now, when he was put at cornerback, he made one really good play, which almost intercepted. But then they worked out, the Bears worked out, and especially Alan Robinson, who was brilliant in this game. They worked out that if you double move or triple move or just run past him, um, he can be exposed. And the Eagles didn't work out quick enough that they needed to give him some help over that side of the field. So I like him. I think he's got a big future, but I'm not sure. It wasn't a good game for him um, after a strong start. It, he was he was very quickly found out by the Bears. The, mo- the best thing that anyone can do is hold their hands up and say, I was wrong on something. And you did it, Ollie, and you're a hero. Well, what you know, I tell you who hasn't held their hands up and said that they were wrong. Matt Nagy and Mark Helmfrich. The fact that they 
the the offensive coordinator of the of the Chicago Bears. The fact they didn't get Tariq Cohen, who is their ex- most explosive player, the ball enough, I think was an absolute travesty. If you're a Bears fan, you, you, we talked about the the um, the offensive scheming and the play, and if you got more out of Mitch Trubisky, but there was an awful lot of things that they didn't do that they were doing um, in, most of the season, and that is. Tariq Cohen, he, he, he a little fella, five foot six, go the go the little guys. But the fact that they didn't get him the ball, I think he had one carry, which is ridiculous, ridiculous. Jordan Howard barely got the ball either. Run that ball! You don't. They, they um, how many times did Mitch Trubisky throw the ball? Something like forty nine, something ridiculous like that. Just, just give your best players the ball, and forty three times, but still. Howard barely touched it. Tariq Cohen didn't touch the ball. It's decisions like that. It's that teams that do stuff and play really well during the regular season then decide to forget sometimes in in the playoffs. And I think that's what the Bears did on offense yesterday or yeah Sunday. So I thought Philadelphia, you've got to really praise that offensive line and the way that they handled. They handled um, Khalil Mack for the most part. It allowed Akeem Hicks to have a another monster game. Um, but I thought the Eagles were... Were they deserved winners? I'm not sure, but... Uh, yeah, no, I, I think they were. I, yeah? I think they were, and I'll... Um, I, I think they were, and I'll, I'll kind of... Um, tell me for why. I'll te- I t- I tell you for why. I'll tell you for why. Um Yes, the, the Bears defence caused them problems. And actually, there's a, there'll be a lot of talk, and there is a lot of talk. I say there'll be a lot of talk. We were recording this on Tuesday. There's already been a lot of talk yeah. about the fact that um, the the Bears, that Khalil Mack and that much-vaunted Bears defensive line only have one sack on the day. This comes back to a, somebody doing a good coaching job. Doug Peterson changed up the way that Eagles offence played, and they were getting the ball out ridiculously quickly there were so yeah. many quick short yardage pass plays worked into their scheme uh, you know so many Darren Sproles out of the backfield I, I'd forgotten how backed up they were like kind of banged up they were in kind of uh, the running back position etc Josh Adams barely saw the ball and I think I'd like to have seen more of Josh Adams actually because I think they could have done with a banger up front to run the ball and he's impressed at times this season and I don't want to slate the the Bears defensive line because Mac was phenomenal in the run game nearly got to Foles on a number of occasions they did still have a good game they still kept them to 16 points but that drive, when they went down 15-10 and there wasn't long left in the game, I I really thought the Bears were going to win from that point. And they got good field position and put together a really nice 60-yard drive where they got to a first and goal. Back-to-back run plays got shut down. Khalil Mack absolutely swallowing, uh, swallowing up Darren Sproles' hole. They then went for a, sh- a quick-fire pass, which was deflected, and it became fourth and goal on the two-yard line. Peterson calls a timeout, brings Nick Foles in, works out their best goal line package. It wasn't a Philly special, but it wasn't too bad. Got the roll out to the right. Golden Tate got open, hit him for the absolute massive cojones touchdown. And that was the difference in the game. You've got to give plenty of love. The 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 Eagles O-line had some real problems earlier this year with injury. And the last month they have been healthy and they have held Aaron Donald 
JJ Watt and Khalil Mack to zero sacks and three quarterback hits wow. over the last three games. If anyone is going to go on the road and win in New Orleans, <laughs> I don't think they're going to have enough. But if there is someone who can go and do it, and they are talking about, you know, this is an Eagles team with the the, the dog masks and with everything else. If anyone's going to go there and and upset them, I think that might be the one. Well, I think actually the, the Eagles game, Eagles-Bears game came down to the fact that the Eagles have done all of that before and the Bears as an organisation didn't and hadn't done that before. They hadn't gone into the playoffs and and been the underdogs and I think being the, the overwhelming favourites affected the Bears. Now the Eagles going to the Saints and of course we'll talk about this later on in the week but the Eagles going to the Saints again they're the underdogs again there'll be that mentality the dog mass, all of that shebang and all of the people on the roster that have done it before everyone in the back in the, on the sidelines in the organisation that have all done it before but you forget that the New Orleans Saints Drew Brees has, done, has been there done that before so the, that part of the, le- of the playing field I think has been levelled and we're going to see a really good game, but I, I, I think that the Saints won't underestimate the Eagles the, maybe the way that the Bears did. Uh, Ollie, I think that rounds off our chat. Oh. I've got to go and get my I've got to go and get my car sorted. So uh, little Figaro, I'm off to go and do that. Excited, yeah, little Figaro. The uh, the um, the exhaust has come a bit loose, uh, so it's scraping on. On bumps, so I need to get that sorted. Is that and, uh, Sarah the, driving it like a Mario Kart? Is that what you're saying? Sarah is one of the safest, <laughs> in fact, sometimes irritatingly safe. Is that you driver, driving it like a Mario Kart? I've ever met. No. Is it, is it you channeling your inner Ollie Hunter driving skills? Absolutely not. Um, I do have to go and drive it down to uh, Kent now, so it's going to be uh, Ooh, bloody uh, hell. to the specialist. Not to Kent. It's not really. It's kind of Surrey Kent border. It's only about half hour away. Don't don't oh, okay. act like um. Uh, well, text <laughs> me when you get there. And telling me yourself you're safe. The 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 final the final thoughts. I just want to look to to Ben Baldwin. Uh, he's the athletics writer for Seattle. Um, uh, he is a uh, he, he's a he's a really good statistical analyzer. Ben Baldwin and worth a follow on Twitter. Uh, he just pointed out over the weekend that with the Bears and Ravens getting knocked out, bit of a tough scene for the old defence wins playoffs crowd. The top five DVOA, that's the old adjusted um, performance based on your opposition statistic that they do on Football Outsiders. The top five DVOA offences, all five teams are still in the playoffs. The top five DVOA defences, none of them remain in the playoffs. A caveat that the Colts would be there if it just was on the last 10 weeks. The top DVOA passing offences, all five of them are still in the playoffs. The top DVOA rushing offences, only two of them remain in the playoffs. This idea that later in the season, the passing league, the defence, it's all flipped on its head. I'm not buying it. I think we're going to have a weekend of some exciting offensive football. I can't wait. I actually can't wait. You're right. It's the best weekend of football. Love it. We'll preview that later in the week. Uh, Ollie, love you lots. Any final very quick thoughts? Yeah, the national championship, Clemson winning last night. You'll hear more from Gridiron, um, Clancy and Sherry uh, about it. But it was 
a really, really solid, imposing, good performance from Clemson over Alabama. And as much as I like Tua, I really wanted Clemson to win. And they did. Does, does your team need a quarterback? Are you more than just a quarterback away from a Super Bowl run? Do you know that you are in rebuilding mode? Yes? Are the answer to any of these questions yes? Then forget the 2019 draft. Forget the 2020 draft. Start stockpiling picks for 2021 right now because Trevor Lawrence is going to be a superstar. I think we saw the future of the NFL in the National Championship game last night. Um, Lawrence and Tua. Uh, Ollie, thank you very much. Let's finish off the show by heading to Jacob at Skybet for the very latest odds. Time to take a look now at the latest odds with our friends from Skybet. Jacob is joining us. Looking forward to the Saturday games. A couple of doozies coming up for us on Saturday, Jacob. Yeah, I think we've got some good ones. It's almost a bit of the opposite from last weekend. where We had loads of really low points totals and I think the Cowboys scored the most points with 24 and this week we've got three of them that are 50 or higher so I think we're going to be in for a lot more points this weekend What I enjoy is that you come on the show having no idea what me and Ollie have already said and then reel out the same fantastic stats we do it just shows <laughs> how well researched we all are um, <laughs> let's Let's start off with the earlier kickoff on the Saturday and the Indianapolis Colts heading to face the Kansas City Chiefs in Arrowhead. Yeah, so this has actually got the highest points total of the weekend. This is at 57. So we've got early money. It's pretty much all on the Colts. It's about a 70-30 split at the moment on the money line and quite similarly on the Colts to cover on the handicap, which is even higher. It's about 90% on the Colts to cover that six-point handicap. So... Early on, I think, obviously, they were very impressive in the in the last round, and they've really been a team the public have got behind throughout this whole run in that kind of run of six-ish games going into the playoffs. And it looks to have continued here against what has been a very, very strong Chiefs team. So it's going to be very interesting. Now, you see, we're going to do a request a bet for each of these games. I am going to continue that trend of uh, of going for the Colts, but I'm going to go for the Colts plus six, Marlon Mack to have over 100 rushing yards because the Chiefs' run D has been horrendous and he's become their main man. And I'm going to have the Colts to keep the Chiefs under 30 points. Now, a lot of people won't have been listening, will have been listening to the show already, so they'll have heard my 20-minute-long Indianapolis Colts love-in. But since that 1-5 and five start, in the next 10 games, they held teams to 16.4 points average per game, which if they'd done that over a whole season would have beaten anyone else in the league by a full point. That defense is absolutely legitimate. And I think they are going to surprise Kansas City this weekend and keep the game lower scoring and keep Kansas City lower scoring than everyone is expecting. Yeah, I think, like you said, they've been really legit recently. And I think, this is going to be a real test for the Chiefs and about where they're at and how they're going to cope going through the playoffs with where, who they're rotating in at running back and where, where they see the offense going. Because them themselves, their defense has been pretty poor, especially against the run. Like you're saying, we've got Marlon Mack in there for quite a high total. So that's going to go up. Colts plus six, Chiefs under 30 points and Marlon Mack 100 plus rushing yards at nine to one. 
And what about for the late game then? This is our game live on Talk Sport with me and Ollie. Uh, the Dallas Cowboys heading to Los Angeles to face the Rams. Yeah, so the Cowboys we've got here, they are seven and a half point underdogs against the Rams. Again, early money for the Cowboys, pretty much about 90% for the Cowboys on the money line, which sometimes is to be expected when the Rams are two to seven. Just maybe you get people not really wanting to back it at that, at that low odds. However, even on the handicap, we've got about 80% of the money on the handicap for the Cowboys to cover. So it seems like people are getting behind the Cowboys. Maybe they're looking into that win they had against the Saints and thinking if this defense can step up and they can shut down Gurley with those legit linebackers, then they could be in with a chance. Yeah, and you look back at the games this past weekend and you say, well, only one team wouldn't have covered that touchdown plus margin. So you can understand why people like it. Whenever there is a, uh, whenever there is a, a line that high, then people do tend to like to go for the team who have the points because NFL games, particularly in the playoffs, tend to be re- reasonably tight most of the time. But I have to say, I fancy the Rams to cover with the week off. I really like what they've done in the establishing the running game with the tight ends uh, over the last two weeks to get that offense back on track after a few rough weeks. That being said, Leighton Van Der Esch, Jalen Smith, absolutely legit. So I think Jared Goff, you establish the run, you pass the ball off that run game. I'm going to have Rams to cover. Jared Goff to have 300 passing yards and Brandon Cooks to score a touchdown on those somewhat slow defensive backs. Yeah, so that's also going up at 9-1, to one, funnily enough. <laughs> I think you're right. Like you said, if they can establish a run, even if those run plays aren't going anywhere, that's not what's so important. It's if they can keep establishing the run to let the play action work. We've seen Jared Goff, when he's able to establish that play action game, they've had a lot of success and the offensive line has given him a lot of time, which you tend to need a bit more time in your protections when it's a play action play. So if they can get that going, I wouldn't be too worried if they're only gaining a yard or two yards, especially with someone like Gurley, who's able to turn those sometimes at the line of scrimmage plays to two yard or three yard gains. But it's what they're able to do off that, I think that could be really effective for them. Screen game galore. Watch out for that on the edges. Um, Are there any offers this weekend? Yeah, so as we had with last week, the final Sunday game will be the request a bet offer game. So spend up to £10 on request a bet markets on the Saints-Eagles game and you'll get a £5 free bet to spend on any, any NFL market you like. We will also be having the return of the touchdown treble again on the Saturday and one for the Sunday as well. Um, those will be released later on in the week, probably tomorrow. Good stuff. They they offer great value, so well worth going and checking out at skybet.com. Of course, remember, it is over 18s only. Terms and conditions there on the website, and please gamble responsibly. Jacob, thank you very much. Cheers, well.